the overall thought coming into this next section of Ecclesiastes is in the hand of God, and I take that from chapter 9, verse 1, but this is the thought that he ends chapter 8 with, and we're going to go backwards a little bit. I just have to say, you know, there are so many who come to this book, and off the bat, they're kind of baffled by it, right? The statement of vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and it runs through this book, and it comes at times in this book in which you least expect it. There are some times when we would expect Solomon to say this, but other times we don't expect it, and yet he lays it out for us, this thought. And it's hard for us sometimes to grapple with these statements as we go through Ecclesiastes, and not only that, but the jarring way in which Solomon depicts life in this world. It's kind of shocking sometimes for some to come to the book of Ecclesiastes. I know it did for me years ago when I started reading through it was just the, the statements that Solomon would make, but the fact that these statements were contained in the Word of God. It's a little bit shocking for me and a little bit jarring for me. But I've had to force myself to be willing to take this journey, and I know that sometimes we want to jump to the New Testament and grab all the comforting thoughts from there and bring them back over to here. But if we're going to be exegetically driven, if we're going to let the book do the talking for us, then we need to be willing to stay here and let Solomon take us where he takes us under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But I realize that sometimes when we come to this book, it's kind of a downer, and we walk away after reading it like, man, can we get any lower? I already feel like I'm scraping the ground. But what's interesting is that we start to realize with Solomon is that he gives us these amazing footholds. And I was thinking about this because he really pushes boundaries for us. He takes us to places that we really don't want to go. And he challenges us to think about things that usually we try to avoid in life. Like the one we're going to look at this morning, death. And it's interesting because I was thinking back to when I was younger... And I was really into rock climbing. And there was a brother in the church, his name was Tobin Sorensen. He was ranked number two in the world in mountain climbing and mountaineering. And he and I used to go climbing. We'd go out to Joshua Tree in California. And we would do what they call free climbing. We had no ropes, no harnesses. We'd just climb the rocks, right? And so one of these times, we would climb up, and usually we would rappel down, so we'd take a rope with us, and we'd have a harness, and we would climb to the top, free climb to the top, and then we would rappel down. Well, we climb to the top and get to the top, and he suggests, why don't we start our way back down again? Of course, I said, okay, I'm a kid. You know, what do I know? Sure, sounds like a good idea. So what we were going to do was to reverse our ascent and go back down the route we came up. Halfway down, I'm sitting there thinking, whose idea was this? Bad idea. And why did I say okay to it? Because when you're down on the ground and you look up, at, you're going to climb up this face, you, you can look and you can sort of see the route you're going to take, and you can see the next handhold and the next foothold, but going backwards, you can't really see anything, really. And all of a sudden, I became acutely aware of how important handholds and footholds are because it's a matter between life and death. Solomon takes us to the edge, but he doesn't push the depressed over the edge. He takes us to the point we don't want to go to, but we need to go to. But then he gives us these amazing footholds of joy that help us in this puzzling world. And he's going to do this again for us in chapter 9. 
But I want to go backwards, and we're going to look at the end of chapter 8 and then move into chapter 9. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. We won't hit everything. We're going to look at some thoughts that come in, in these sections. But I want to go back to 8 and highlight 8 for you because he's going to pick up the same themes again in chapter 9. So that's where we're going to focus our attention. But in chapter 8, he's going to raise the question in verses 9 through 11, the issue of injustices. And one of the things that he helps us to understand, and, and just as this is the thing about Ecclesiastes, there are these underlying truths that Solomon highlights for us. We have to just be willing to take the time to rest there until we understand what he is saying. Because he doesn't always tell us everything directly, but it's there indirectly. There are so many truths that he lays out for us in the way that he does that. And as he deals with the issue of injustices in chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, he helps us to understand that we, don't, we shouldn't make the mistake of taking long-suffering and thinking that it's indifference. We look at the wicked, we see they thrive, we're waiting for God to do something, and sometimes we read it as that God is completely indifferent to the, the sinfulness that's in the world, but he's not. It is his long-suffering. We know this truth from Romans chapter 2, verse 4, right? That God's mercy should lead to repentance. He could wipe us all out if he so chose, but he doesn't do that. But Solomon is going to take us to verses 12 through 13 of chapter 8, and he's going to give us the answer. The answer is faith. He gives us this message of hope in the time of struggling. And next Sunday we're going to come back and talk about, there is this thought that gets passed around in society, hope and hope, or faith and faith. And I just want to look at that next Sunday as we go through chapter 9 and finish going through it. Because the issue of hope and hope, it's, an, it's a hopeless hope. Right? It's meaningless. It's an absurd statement. Yet, I, I hear this often, and especially from celebrities. The first time I heard it was Oprah Winfrey. But it just gets spread everywhere. And people say this. And, and I want to say, do you understand how ridiculous that sounds? So we'll talk about that when we get further in chapter 9. But he helps us to understand that we can enjoy life if we fear God. Even though we can't understand all of his works and ways, there is an underlying call for us to trust in God. So notice chapter 8, verse 12. Although the wicked person's sin might be excessive, notice he says a hundred times. May ah, maybe it's a hundred times, or maybe their life might seem to be long, comparatively speaking. Yet there is this viewpoint of faith that I know. I know. Notice the contrast, verse 9 of chapter 8. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that is done under the sun. This puts forth what all can see. Everyone can observe these things, Solomon, as he reveals this, that everyone can observe this, everyone can see this. But then all of a sudden in verse 12, he says, I know. This is the viewpoint that's appreciated not by everybody. In other words, notice what he says. He says, I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. In other words, you don't do it in secret. You make it known by how you live your life. So he is going to highlight the fact that although on one angle we look at the wicked and it looks like they live for a long time, yet the wicked, he says, verse 13, they will not lengthen his or her days like a shadow. He is then going to repeat the problem and he's going to restate the remedy again. And I give you this statement by John Wesley as he sums up chapter 8 for us as we move into chapter 9. He says this, The preacher considers the counsels and ways of God and the various methods of his providence and the reasons of them. 
No man, though ever so wise, is able to fully and perfectly to understand these things. And therefore it is best for man not to perplex himself with endless inquiries, but quietly to submit to God's will and providence, and to live in the fear of God and the comfortable enjoyment of His blessing. This is exactly how Solomon ends chapter 8, and this is what he prepares us for in chapter 9, because he is going to challenge us to face our last enemy, and that is death. This is something that many of us don't want to face, but we know it's a part of life. It's a distinct characteristic of of the world that we live in because of the fall. Suffering and death are reality of life. And we all might say this and, and acknowledge this fact biblically, and we might acknowledge this theoretically in our head, but yet for some reason we still think that the chief end of God is that we be happy in life, that we have no suffering, and that there be no death. But it's a part of our life, is it not? Because of the fall. Therefore, we must face it. And we have answers to face it. So he's going to take us on this journey. The first thing he wants us to face is death. Then he wants us to face life. Then providence. And then folly. And this is chapter 9, if you will, in a nutshell. Or I could sum it up this way. In chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, we have death is unavoidable. We all are going to die. It is a reality. It is a reality that I came to understand at a very young age of my life. Hanging on that rock, realizing one bad move, and it's over. And I'm a long way from the ground. But also, I understand this, that life is unpredictable. Notice verse 1 of chapter 9. For I have taken in this my heart and explained it that the righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. There are things that we don't know in life. Can't know in life. And as much as we plan and try to be secure and have all of these backup things, life is unpredictable. We never know what's coming. That being the case then that we need to trust in God is what Solomon is going to enjoin us to do, to live by faith and enjoy whatever blessings God gives us. He's even going to talk about our meals. And it's interesting how he speaks of them in chapter 9. So death is predictable, but life is not. Death is a fact of life. And life, if we want to look at it, as Thomas Carlyle defined it, it is a little gleam of time between two eternities. Puts life in perspective, doesn't it? I'd liken it to if we took a white string and ran it from the back of the room to the front of the room, and if we took a little red marker and we put a red dot right in the middle of that white string, that is life and light of eternity. Solomon is bringing this out. If you notice this, if we go back to past chapters we looked at, he's talked about the fact that we have eternity in our hearts that God has placed there. There is this yearning and longing for something that is far beyond this. We have this realization that there is something more out there, bigger than this. And all the way through this, what he's calling us to do is to recognize the reality of our life and the transitoriness and light of eternity. It is a long way around where Moses takes us in Psalm 90. God is eternal, but we are vapid. Our life is here today and gone tomorrow. So take everything in perspective of that. 
So he is going to help us to see that. And remember that Solomon is taking everything into consideration on this material universe. He is looking at everything under the sun. He repeats this twice in verse 3, then in verse 6. And we see similar thoughts that run through the rest of this chapter. In other words, he is reminding us that we are finite and God is infinite and we cannot fully comprehend everything that God is doing, but we need to take it in stride. So I asked this question coming into this verse that a well-known poet asked. He said, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? You know why? Because they don't want to face it. Don't want to face it. We do this. We find other ways to describe it rather than call it what it is. Graveyards aren't graveyards anymore. We don't want to say that. It's too bleak. It's too dismal. We call them memorial parks now. Whatever we can do to avoid the reality, the fact that we are going to die. And what's interesting is this isn't the first time that Solomon has talked about death. And it won't be the last because he's going to take us there again in chapter 12. But every time he does, he reveals something new to us about death and how we need to face life. In other words, how better to prepare to live than to be prepared to die? This is Paul's contemplation in Philippians chapter 1, right? I'm in this quandary. I want to die because I'll be with the Lord, but if I live, then that means fruitful labor for me. But I am tossed and turning about what it is that I would prefer. I know where I'd like to be, but where does God want me to be? I don't know that I've ever wrestled like that, right? I want to die? I don't want to die. I want to do everything to stay here. And Solomon acknowledges the benefits of staying here, but we must face death. It's a fact. But what he does through Ecclesiastes is that he analyzes and looks at life from all these different facets because he wants to understand God's pattern for a satisfied life. While we are here, what can we do? What is the benefit? What do you waste your time doing? Or better, how do you spend your time? Depends on what we're doing, isn't it? Sometimes I'm wasting my time. Other times I'm spending it wisely. So Solomon, the first thought he takes us to is in verses 2 and 3. Death faces all, but not all face death. He takes us to the first thought, and it's interesting how he does this in several ways in these verses. First is the repetition of the word all in Hebrew, kol. And so I try to present the Hebrew here into the English, if you will. And he piles up these thoughts. There is this little dash right here. This is actually a vowel in Hebrew. It's what we call a patat. So he does the same thing here in this word and the same thing here with this word. Is that he begins each one with the same vowel. Then he does is he uses the same word, kol, which means all in Hebrew. Does it here and here. But then he starts the second word with the same letter, looks like our backward C. And so there is this sound pattern that we hear. Hakol, ka'asher, lakol. In other words, what it does is it takes these thoughts and it puts it to our memory much quicker and it helps us to retain it, take it in, and hang on to it, right? It's like a nice little jingle when people are trying to sell us stuff on television, right? Nice little ditty and it puts it in our head and then we think about it all day. I remember my dad one time, we're sitting there driving the car back from a baseball game. My dad's driving, and he's humming this tune. And I look at my dad, and I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? He said, what? I said, you know that you're humming the tune to a beer commercial? My dad has never drank beer in his life, ever. He doesn't even take coffee nor aspirin, ever. He doesn't do any of that stuff. But the ditty was so catchy, he didn't even realize that he got it in his head. 
So this is what Solomon is intentionally doing, is he wants us to take this in. Because notice where he takes us. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked. Now he uses extremes. What is he doing? He's talking about the all. So all the way through here in different ways, he is highlighting everybody. So he embraces the righteous and the wicked. Everyone has an event, one event, one fate that, that will befall them all, and that fate is death. Verse 3, that there is but one fate for all men. Notice, Lakol, he combines them together. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Verse 2, as it is with the good man, so it is with the sinner. All our destinies are the same. There is a common destiny. We all go to the grave. We're all going to die. But here's what he wants us to contemplate. We all don't have the same common eternity. See, Solomon's going to take us places because we need to think about things. This life is going to end, but that's not the end of the story. So I was brought to mind of this epitaph I heard years and years ago, etched in a plaque next to a gravesite, and it said this, Pause, stranger. This is the, the, the corpse speaking to the passerby. Pause, stranger, when you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Now someone came along and they scratched a reply below. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Isn't that good? Know who you're following, right? I said to my kids the other day, someone was doing something and these other kids were following me. I said, the blind leading the blind, man. Right? Choose wisely who you follow. But Solomon wants us to understand that we must all face death. And the reason for this is that this is the last enemy. And we need to face that enemy. But the thing about death that oftentimes scares us is the fact that it reveals things. There's an old saying that when death comes, it doesn't create problems, it reveals problems. It's interesting, as a minister, I found over the years that weddings and funerals, people do some of the craziest things. They just come unhinged. I don't know what it is about those two events. But funerals, like I've seen families just go at each other for blood over stuff that are left behind by their parents, right? I mean, it's like, really, you, you just suffered a loss and you're going to argue over dishes and all of that? It's crazy to me. But it does this to us and it reveals things to us. There is this x-ray power that reveals the hearts of people. This is why Solomon wants us to contemplate this. Why? Because people will do almost anything to escape the reality of death. They will drink just found out that someone I know well has been struggling with alcohol for years, has already lost his pancreas, and they now just taken off both of his legs. And he still will not quit. He will not surrender his life to Christ. They will plunge themselves into drugs. They will plunge themselves into sin. Whatever sensuality and whatever kind of sin they can indulge in, whatever they think that will satisfy. But we also have those, the younger generation coming up where they go and do crazy things. And if you ask them, why did you jump that motorcycle over 10 buses? Because I want to feel alive. But here's what's nuts about it all. Do you realize that everything that man does to try to hide from facing death are things that lead to death? Isn't that nuts? 
This is why he says in verse 3 that there is insanity in the heart of every man. We're all a bunch of nutcases. In other words, people will almost do anything but repent in order to escape the reality of death. The costly endeavors are only going to distract them from the battle. They don't end the war because the last enemy is still there. I got a call from a dear sister in the church a few years ago. And I had just went to bed. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call. And she says, my husband's going into surgery. Can you come and pray with him? I said, sure, I'll be there. So I got up and took off, went down to the hospital. And I had a chance to go into the, the prepping area where they're getting him ready for surgery. And so I go back there. And there's the doctor, the nurses, his son, and, and this dear brother. Now a dear brother at the time. He wasn't saved. And so I asked if I could pray for him, he said, sure. And so I prayed for the doctor and I prayed for the nurses and prayed for his son as he faced this for his wife. And then I asked the Lord, I said, give me one more chance with him to hear the gospel. If, you, if it's your will, preserve his life. Let him come through this so I can share Christ with him one more time. And God granted that request. So he's in rehab in hospice care. And I gave my card to the nurses. I said, call me anytime if there's something going on. So one of the nurses called me and said, he's been having nightmares. Can you come down and sit with him? I said, sure. So I came down. I was sitting with him. And I said, Dick, what's going on? I come to find out that he was just so overwhelmed by the guilt of sin in his life. Things that he did, he knows he can't go back and fix. And so he was having these nightmares. And I, I, I said, Dick, you understand what's happening here, right? The first time he and I met, he came to church on a Sunday with his wife, and he walked up to me and he said, I want you to know I don't believe that God exists. I said, all right, now we can be honest with each other, right? I don't have to pull any punches with you. So I didn't then that day. I said, you understand what's happening. You know you're going to stand before God and have to answer to him. You know you have this guilt, and you can't do anything about it, and that's what scares you. I said, but Christ died on the cross for all your sins. I said, why do you persist in your rebellion? Surrender your life to Christ. I said, do you not think that God is trying to get your attention? He said, yes. And I says, does he have your attention? He said, yes. And I said, then surrender to him. Days later, he did. I got to sit with him and read from the scriptures while he went into glory. But we just keep running and avoiding the inevitable. It's going to come. We must face it, believer and unbeliever alike. We must come to grips with that reality because we don't want to waste the time that we have. Solomon then takes us to the point that death is not an accident, then it's an appointment. We saw this back in Genesis when it talks about the fact of fallen man, that he's going to return to dust. And he highlights the depravity of man and his sinfulness in chapter 9 and the reality of death that comes. Genesis 3.19, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Or Moses writes of God, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. This is us. Help us to number our days so that we might offer you up a heart of wisdom. Right? 
The last statement that Moses makes in that psalm, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Help us to do things that last, things for eternity, not just here. Hebrews 9.27 isn't appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And Dick knew this for sure. So we all must face honestly and soberly the last enemy, and that is death. One dear saint said this, Death is the great adventure, beside which moon landings and space trips pale into insignificance. This is the truth for you and I. We have this confidence because the sting of death has been removed for us, but this is not so for the unbeliever. And while they still draw breath, they have a chance. There is a potential. So please don't give up praying for those loved ones that are not believers yet. Do not give up sharing the gospel with them, friends and family, because once they draw their last, it is too late. There is no purgatory. There is no buying them out of where they're going to go. There is heaven or hell, and there is only two places. But now they have a chance. Amen? One doesn't get that kind of confidence by trying to run away from the reality of death. We need to help our loved ones understand the reality of it and help them face it. Because you only get that confidence by facing the enemy and honestly understand that turning away from sin and trusting in Christ, He can save us. He can redeem us. The next thought Solomon takes us to in verses 4 and 5. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Don't let death paralyze you, but let it energize you. If we can put verse 4 this way, the first line, where there's life, right, there's hope. There's hope. Verse 5, for the living know that they will die. So what are we going to do about it? We know that this is going to come. In spite of the disparities in life and the certainty of death, it shouldn't make us give up on living life. And this is the exhortation that Solomon is giving us. Not to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die but for us to seize the moments in our life. Thus, he gives us the comparison of the dead lion and the live dog. Lions were looked upon as being majestic, powerful predators, but the dogs were looked upon as being despised scavengers. But you're still alive. You still have a chance. There's still potential. Sometimes a person may look at life and feel like dying and feel like that's preferable, but in reality, it's not. When a person's dead, his or her opportunities for earthly enjoyment don't exist. The living have potential and hope. The dead don't. It's over with. Our God is a God of second chances, but once you draw your last breath in this life, there's no more chances. None. This is the one thing that really bothered Martin Luther. This is what started. The 95 Thesis wasn't primarily about justification by faith. It started off with, being able to purchase your loved ones out of purgatory and earn their way into heaven, which is a complete falsehood. Then came the other battle. The selling of indulgences. Somehow you can earn that place. The living they can enjoy life, but the dead they cannot. And Solomon is going to dwell on this in the verses that follow. But this group he describes takes, doesn't take the plunge into sin, but they set their face to their goal. They lean forward. They say, where there's life, there's hope. There's still a chance to do something. Are we spending our time or are we wasting our time? The older I get, the more things I just push aside that are a complete waste of my time. 
books I'm not going to read, things that aren't going to do me any good. I find myself being driven more and more to the Word of God and more and more to God asking Him, help me to understand how I can serve your kingdom more in this life because I know that it's going to end soon. We can learn to seize the opportunities while we live, but don't blindly hope for your future. We'll talk about this next week, that hope and hope or that faith and faith. Death ends your opportunities here on earth. Or as Christ put it in John chapter 9, verse 4, like Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Let's pray.